Hi guys, it's Louise here with you this week bringing you a pretty special edition of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. At the beginning of March, you know, before the world ended, I caught up with an old friend of mine, the incredible Lynn Ruth Miller. If you don't know about Lynn Ruth, you're about to learn. Lynn is an 86-year-old stand-up comedian, writer, journalist and performer. She's incredible. She's like a cat. She's led about nine lives. When she was in town, we chatted for nearly three hours, um, which means I've had to be kind of ruthless with the edit in order to get it down to a manageable podcast for this edition. We are, however, hoping to catch up again when we can. Hopefully, when all this is over and she's back in town doing more gigs, we can delve into the incredible life she's led in more detail with a part two of Lynn Ruth Miller. Like so many of us in the creative industries, she's had her work postponed or cancelled due to the COVID-19 outbreak. So in the meantime, and until we meet again with Lynn Ruth, if you would like to help her out in any way possible, you can visit www.lynruthmiller.com to find out more about her work. Perhaps you can buy one of her books or donate the cost of a ticket to a comedy gig to help her through this difficult time. And speaking of helping artists through a difficult time, if you follow us on social media, you are probably aware of our One Mare Tune fundraising campaign for Scottish creatives and freelancers impacted by COVID-19 and the cancellation of work. Donations are now closed, but we are still accepting applications to access this fund. So if you've experienced a loss of earnings or are impacted in any way financially by what's been going on, please email us on persistentandnasty at gmail.com to find out how you can access the fund. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please do consider subscribing, giving us five stars. It helps other people find the podcast and spread the word and amplify the voices of all our wonderful guests. So, in conclusion, I will leave you with the incredible Lynn Ruth Miller. Please stay safe, stay home if you can, disinfect those hands and stay nasty. <laughs> And then I've been in the magazine three times. You know, once to do comedy, once because I was doing burlesque, and once because I'm so fucking old. All right, so come on, let's... So that's a really good place to start, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, Lynn, I'm very, very excited to have you on our podcast. And I am very excited to see you, Louise. <laughs> I will take a podcast or anything just to see you, Louise. You're the best. You are a legend. Um, I don't even know where to begin, but I guess the best way, place to begin is the very beginning. Um some of you our really listeners don't might... want to begin at the beginning. <laughs> we'll be here for five hours. Well, I was born on a brisk October morning. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's start by um, telling the listeners out there who might not know who you are a little bit about what you do. What, gee, what don't I do? Well, exactly, yeah. what don't you do? <laughs> I am a professional stand-up comedian. I am a cabaret performer. I have eight cabarets now. I am an author. I have written, I think, 15 books now. That doesn't mean they were all published, and it also (laughs) doesn't mean they're all good. But four of them are on Amazon, and a fifth is about to appear. I am an artist, and I used to be a selling artist, but then I thought, that's just too big a drag to have to drag those things from one place to another, so I just paint. But I do paint. Um, I am... A television, former television uh, producer and star uh, of a, a, a 
um, a book review program called What's Hot Between the Covers. <laughs> I asked Peter Graham, I said, I have a Peter Graham, I said, I had a program called What's Hot Between the Covers, and he said menopausal women. <laughs> oh, God. I said, no, I'm talking about books. <laughs> anyway, and then I did a painting program called Paint with Lynn, and it was in Pacific, and it was for children, and the children would be on television, and they would be shoving the crayons up their ass or in their <laughs> nose or... It was without doubt the most vile program. So then I decided to have I decided to have um, comedians on it, and I started out the program by saying, "I have been telling you that anybody can paint, but I now have three people on this program that absolutely have no artistic talent whatsoever." And they did this painting, and at the end, I said to them, "So what did you learn?" And the one comedian said, "I learned I'm a good person." <laughs> so I did that for 13 years, and I also was on CBS. You had a I, when I was younger, I had a program on CBS called The Little Playhouse, which was horrible. <laughs> it was really terrible. And um, sponsored by the Toledo Museum of Art. So I'm that. I'm also a professor. I teach. Um, poorly, but I teach. <laughs> what is the saying? He who can does. He who can't teaches. Yeah. Actually, at one time I taught archery. There is absolutely no way I could shoot an arrow. Do you remember that? No way. I taught archery. I taught swimming, and I am terrified of the water, absolutely terrified of the water. I teach swimming by pointing. I say, that's what you do. Now jump in there and do that. Isn't it? What else do I do? I think that's it. I mean, that, that's a great place that, to start. <laughs> that's a lot and of stuff. And the limit. thing you want to know and the thing that is important for this particular series, that every single thing I've done, I've had to be twice as good to get half as far as a man. Well, when did you start? When did you start doing comedy? You know, now I'm reading this book, I'm editing this book. I, actually, I've been doing comedy for a long time, but actually doing stand-up comedy was when I was 70, and I've told this story so many times. I've told this story so many times that if that somebody who's listening would say, yes, I know, what happened is, <laughs> I was promoting one of my books, mm -hmm. and, it, and nobody was ever buying them. And at the end of the promotion, I'd read from my books, and I'd look hopefully at the audience, and nothing was happening. And then at the end, I would tell canned jokes like you used to get on the internet. You know, a grasshopper walked into the bar, that kind of thing. Mm. So anyway, so at the end, after I promoted these my books that nobody bought, I would tell jokes. And they'd say, oh, come back and tell some more jokes. So I'm running out of jokes because that wasn't why I was there in the first place. I'm trying to <laughs> sell my book. And I saw uh, San Francisco Comedy College. And I am a journalist, but I just have never been employed by a newspaper. I've, I've done freelance for newspapers, but mm. never on a regular basis even. Mm. And I really believe, Louise, that, that I just didn't read. I think it's because I don't conform and I don't realize I don't conform. And I, and I could never get a job. So anyway, so when I saw this thing that said San Francisco Comedy College, I thought, huh, that's a ripoff. You can't teach people to be funny. I still believe you can't, but you can teach them techniques mm. so that they can make what they're saying closer to funny. Yeah. Because I don't think, I don't know that I'm right or not, but I don't think, some people have to have a sense of funny. And I want to tell you something. I think Glaswegians have a very good sense of funny. <laughs> I just do. They have. A, I, that's why I love doing comedy at the stand, because here, because they just have a way of saying things that are, that's funny. Yeah. 
So I didn't think that you could teach anyone to be funny. So I thought it's a ripoff. I'm going to write this up. And finally, I'm going to get a job in a newspaper because it's going to be picked up. Because yeah. I was doing freelance work for my hometown newspaper, which is a Pacifica Tribune. And then I th figured I'd get into Stanford Magazine, and I did. And I was doing something for Close Views Magazine. Mm. Seems to me it was three the three things. So I, 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 wrote, I called the guy and I said, I'll write this up for you. And I have to take the class to see what you're trying to do with these people. And I had the best time I've ever had in my life. I have thought about this a lot. I think that if you really want to be good as a woman, not as a man, as really want to be good and get somewhere in comedy, you have to really be a bitch. I understand that Joan Rivers was absolutely awful when to work with. She was absolutely awful. And my, my buddy Ronnie Vi used to write for her. And I said, could I, you know, I can write for her too. You know, I'm always looking for someone. And he said, no, you're not mean enough. She really, really mean. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that that's something have you encountered? Um... I think it's because people that are really bitchy and mean are people that have a chip on their shoulder and they're trying to break through a wall that they had trouble with. Mm. And and I really think so because I'm really... You t men don't have that problem. Do you think it's because, well, particularly with comedy, it's such a male-dominated industry? And also because that... we have to fight so hard because yeah. it isn't... We're not so much... We're fighting the bookers. Right. I, at least since I've been doing it, it is not the audience. Mm. No, it's never the audience. The audience knows if it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. And they love it. Um, the bookers say, no, I've had so many, well, something like this, but I've had so many where I send emails to the funniest. I send emails and I think, I've got the credentials. I've won awards. I've got, uh, and there are never awards where I've, joined a contest. There are the awards where somebody was looking around saying, oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, so it isn't something I competed for. It's something they they discovered me. <laughs> and I, yeah, so I've won them, and I've got them. And and uh, I'll send all this, and, and I'll say, you know, I would like a spot. And there's a place uh, in uh, Chiswick. It's mm. called Headliners. And the guy, he wrote me, and he said, yes, I'll give you a 10-minute open spot. And I'm thinking, I've been doing this for 16 years. I have headlined all over the world. Why are you, why are you doing that? When I did that, the King's Head uh, in Crouch End, and by the way, I love them. I would probably kill for them. And that's Peter Graham, the menopausal woman guy. Yeah, <laughs> and and I called him because they also have a, um, what is it, a progression. Mm. And I said, so do you want me to do a Thursday night with them? He said, no. He said you've been doing. He I mean he got it. He said, no, yeah. you've been doing it long enough. We'll start you out with a 10-minute yeah. spot in the show because I've been doing it long enough so that I, I've proven that I can, I can do it. Anyway, so getting back to the original, I took the class. You took the class. And <laughs> at the end of the class, so at the end, we had a final exam at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, which is where they do the international big deal. And, um, and the rest of the people in the class, it wasn't that they were bad. They had no life experience to talk about. Well, I was going to say you must have come yeah, oh, to the class I, I mean, with so much I know what to talk, I talk about. Because what um, age were you when you took that class? 70. 70, that's incredible. And you've been doing comedy for 16 for years 16 now. For 16 years. But the thing is, it wasn't just that I had a lot to talk about. I also had a certain self-confidence, a certain presence. I was a um, university professor for six years. I'd lectured. Mm -hmm. um, I had a sense of self that you don't have when you're 18 and 19. Mm, yeah. So you get up there and you sort of don't know what to say and you either talk about your mother or you talk about wanking and that's it. <laughs> and, and, and 
It, and, and, and in addition that they, all of them had the potential if they were willing to put in the work. But you have to think of the difference. When you're 19, 18, 19, 20, you need money. Yeah. So you go do these open mics, you're not making money. Yeah. And if you want to do this right, you have to do it over and over and over. And I learned that when I was doing burlesque. Yes, I do burlesque. Yeah, we're going to and, talk yeah, about that in a yeah. minute. <laughs> in Austin, I won. This is still, I still think it's the funniest thing ever. I I won the Texas Burlesque Festival. <laughs> I'm ashamed for all the people that were in that thing because they were so good and I was so bad. But I think it was the novelty of seeing an old woman. The first one I won, just hands down, I was the best of the, of they said, I was not. For all of you who competed that day, I wasn't. <laughs> but I won it. And then the second night, I won most original, which I can understand that because nobody was 86. I wasn't, I was 84 then. Oh, well. No, no, it was before I moved here. So I would have been 82, 80. Right. No, I would have been 79 or 80 because it was before I moved here. Remember, because right, yeah, I've yeah, lived yeah. here for six years. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they, so that was the most original, and you're right. You hadn't seen anybody that was 79 or 80 or however it was, uh, ripping off their clothes and singing, I'm a senior hottie. You know, that's what I did. Um, but then I went to a workshop there, and this little girl, you know, and I'm thinking, what can this young thing teach me? And she said, we spend, and I don't know whether you've watched burlesque, she said, we've spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars, this is in America, for our costumes, and it's true, they do. Those yeah. costumes are, they cost a fortune. And we take dancing lessons. I didn't know that you had to take dancing lessons to twirl a tit, but evidently you do. And and, and <laughs> I know you're doing like this, it's really hard to do, but, I, I, but anyway, but she said we spend so much money. And then someone like you, and I'm thinking, oh, comes along, and I'm a novelty act, I'm really ridiculously funny, and they book me. And I say, oh, you don't have to pay me because I'm so bad. She said, if you do that, why should we get paid? Mm. And that changed everything. And I thought, never again. That's, I'm never going to do that to someone. That's amazing. Because, you know, I had... Because, I mean, I am a lousy dancer. I can't <laughs> carry a tune. I don't, I'm offbeat. You have a beautiful voice. You sing it. You're, you're adorable, your Thank voice. Thank you. Thank you. You really do. I mean, that's, it's, it would be horrible for someone like you to see someone like me supplant you just because I'm doing it for nothing. I mean, I can't carry a tune. I'm sort of approximately there. But, you know, there's something really amazing about, about hearing that, that somebody just, bellow off well, tune. <laughs> no, but what you did there was you listened to that other performer and you were like, you know what, you're right. Actually, maybe what I'm doing, particularly the thing about not taking money like i think that's a really interesting point like well i, I won't I'm do that anymore they funny. have to if they only have to give me five pounds but they have to pay me because i'm not going to take somebody else's work away from them just because i'm a novelty although i've seen you do burlesque and it is very very funny say it again <laughs> i've seen you do burlesque and it is it, very funny I know it's very fun but it isn't very tuneful i'll tell you that <laughs> so I'm let's sing it len ruth let's mm. take it i want to I want to talk to you a little bit about how you, um, like your journey from when you were like my age, like from your 20s mm. and then when you went to university and tell me a bit about you then. Like were you, because I think you're just this bullshy. No, I wasn't. Like amazing, like balls to the wall, don't give a fuck 
no, amazing presence. Like you just don't care what anybody thinks and you just do what you want to do. And you're 86 year old and you're still touring the world with your comedy and you're still writing your books and writing your shows. You've achieved more than most people will in a life in two lifetimes. So I hadn't even thought of it that way. You, no, it's incredible. You're, you're a big inspiration. Like, and you know that we're sitting here. You're 86, and you're sitting. We're sitting here talking about feminism and challenges well, in the comedy industry. And you're just, you're, you're. I, I just think you're. Yeah, I, I think you're incredible. You don't feel incredible. Um, you feel like, oh, I got up this morning. You. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shock. I'm breathing still, so I might as well do something. But you went to university yeah. at Stanford, is that okay, right? Okay, no, I went to university first at the University of Michigan. Right. And the University of Michigan is a very, people don't know about it here, but it's like Edinburgh. Okay. It's, a, it's not uh, Oxford and it's not Cambridge, but it is absolutely tops. And, and, um, and I didn't know it was very, very progressive. So we used to all go, um, we call it necking, what do you call it? Is that uh, like like making uh, out? Uh, yes. Yeah, right, Shagging. Yeah. Shagging. Is one. Oh, right. It's not, Sorry. What do I mean? It's getting there in the <laughs> Sorry, arboretum. I, and I went there just to identify trees. I went there, yeah. And they were smoking pot like, and I was just, why does it smell so funny in the arboretum? Because they were all high on pot. It's a very, very progressive university, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh my goodness, look what they're doing behind the tree. Were you an innocent? We're little... studying biology. That's a... <laughs> were you an innocent? Were you just... I'm a complete innocent. Oh. Really innocent. So what age were you when you went to the University of Michigan? But this is the point. Women in those days went to school, to college, as a time filler until okay. they got married. And, so right, they yeah. wouldn't have to work. So when was this? This would be right, what, So you like... graduate from high school in America that you're 18. So you call it college, don't you? Co- yeah, two college, years. uni, yeah. You're 18. Yeah. You're ready to go. You could just work. Mm-hmm. But women from upper middle class families, which is what I was from, uh went to college instead of working okay. with the idea that by your second year, you'd be married. You find a man. By your fourth year, you damn well better be married. <laughs> and you tried not to graduate. You tried by that time you'd found someone. And that literally was what that four years was for. Wow. But it was not that for me. Okay. I really and truly wanted to teach children. And I wanted to be a teacher. And I, I loved, God, I loved education. I don't mean uh, uh, the, the, the courses in education. I mean philosophy. I mean, I discovered classical music at the University of Michigan. I discovered literature. I discovered painting. I discovered what, what I remember Rembrandt and the, 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 the Night Watch. And I, my God, things in my family, my family... Uh, the only books that my father read um, paperback mysteries and my mother read um, pulp magazines and or Danielle Steele uh, the music in our house was lovely but it was uh, I mean it was 40s and 50s of course it was great music ta 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 you know uh, it was Glenn Miller and all that but it, no classical music and I remember when I when I heard oh I can remember hearing the Eroica and I just thought my god that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard and then I I, I was exposed to opera and uh, the first opera uh, was La Boheme, but then they, they did a mall and the night visitors. I mean, because that kind of thing was not in my home. Okay. Because my home was, uh, we were, um, my mother and father were, I guess you would call them second generation. When you hear my grandfather and grandmother, both sides, one was Romanian and one was Polish, they came from the old country. Mm-hmm. They murdered the English language. My mother and father 
were that generation that assimilate. And that's the thing that people don't get here. You have to give them a generation. You're yelling because all the people from Romania are just talking Romanian while they clean your houses and clean your toilet and babies. Yeah, they're only talking American. They're, they're, they need another generation to get there. Mm. And my family, my father and mother were the melting pot generation. Mm. They were gonna be American. And that was the problem with me, because my mother, remember we talked about this earlier, we get our definition of what life can be from the movies, and of course they didn't have television then, from radio, mm. um, and that's how we, and books, which yeah. uh, my mother didn't read, but you, 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 that's your definition of what a lady is, what a what life should be, mm. and and my mother thought that American women went to the beauty shop once a week, mm-hmm. had their nails done once a week. Uh, American women, they got married at 18. They had a, a minimum of two children. Their husbands went to work. Women did not work. Mm. And they lived in the suburbs, and they um, bitched. <laughs> and you were not interested and I was in not any interested. of that? My sister was. Oh, your sister was, okay. And that was the difference. Well, my sister flunked out of every college she tried to go to. She couldn't have done it anyway. But I was really into graduating it. Mm. So when I was at the University of Michigan, I was in a milieu of girls that wanted to graduate. Yeah. So I didn't feel different. But then when I came home, I remember I graduated, and, and my father said to me, so you really meant it. <laughs> I, said, I worked really hard. I, um, I'm bright. But I'm not a genius, and it really was difficult. Schoolwork was difficult for me, but I worked really hard, and I got the grades, and I, and I loved it. Uh, a lot of people didn't like school. I loved it. Mm. So when I graduated, I then faced reality. I was practically the only one in my class besides Isla Ginsberg, who was four feet tall and wanted to be a, a landscape gardener, uh, and I think she was also a lesbian. But anyway, other than she... I wasn't married, and I wasn't engaged, and I didn't have anyone. And then I realized, oh my God, I'm in trouble. Mm. Because you could get a job as an elementary school teacher, which, by the way, I didn't want. I wanted kindergarten. I couldn't get a job in kindergarten. I always graduated at the wrong time. I ended up getting second grade, which was totally beyond me, because in those days, kindergarten didn't teach. Okay. I wanted to just play, you know, yeah. bow, bow, Belinda, a tisk and a tasket. Here I was saying, okay, one and one. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I didn't really want to do that. But because I really love children, I, I love doing it. But anyway, so, so I got this job, and I realized that did I want to do this for the rest of my life? And it's a funny thing. I had this wonderful friend who was a, a nun, a sister of the Sacred Heart, who advised uh, high school kids, and she said... When I advise a high school kid, they know what they want to do, but they're going to change their mind a minimum of three times. Mm. She's right. I thought, no, I want to teach. But after I'd done it, while I was doing it, I realized, is this what you really want forever? And what I really wanted forever was to be um, a writer. Mm. Which, remember, this is the Jewish family with the Melton. You have to set, you have to be able... You marry someone who can support you, and if mm. you don't marry someone that can support you, oh my God, you damn well better figure out a way to do it yourself. Yeah. And it isn't going to be easy because the only jobs open for you are being a secretary, um, of course, a housewife, a librarian, or a prostitute, all of which are the same thing because it's serving men. But that's it. And and I didn't want to do any of those. I loved books, but I didn't want to be a librarian. 
I certainly didn't want to be a secretary. I was my father's secretary, and all I did was water his plants. But I didn't like doing it. And a prostitute is no good. I'm terrible at sex. I'm very uncoordinated, so it wasn't going to work. So at that point, I realized I've got to get married because what I wanted, I wanted to be the kind of mother that had a swing in the backyard, which was a tire. I said that's what I wanted, but I didn't understand the reality because I was from the time I was 10, I was writing, mm. always writing, always reading, always, everything was in my head. And I knew that I would be, when I married, of course, I imagined this loving relationship where we never fought, where there was music playing in the background at all times. Mendelssohn, I think, always in the <laughs> background, yeah. And our children would never, I mean, you know, immediately toilet trained as they emerged from my body. Really cute and running yeah, around, yeah, running around. Immediately, <laughs> immediately uh, clothed. No, yeah. I never did it because yeah. I can't stand it. They were just automatically yeah. cherub-like. So, yeah, the, the, the <laughs> pink dresses and blue dresses. Free yeah. and, and, and expressing themselves yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, I wanted that kind of a life. Uh, but I knew there was more, but I didn't know what because of what we were talking about. I didn't know the options. Yeah. I wanted to create. I wanted to make something. So I was always like that. So, for example, in, in college, I was always in the entertainments. I was always writing the little ditties and mm -hmm. doing things like that. Uh, when my mother wanted to do a greeting card, I was the one that wrote the poem. I was like yeah. that. So that's what happened. Then I married, and, and I married a, a, an intellectual like what I thought I was, but he also was just out of Korea. And, and again, I had trouble getting jobs because the only jobs, the jobs were limited and I, and I couldn't get a job again because we're limited. If there's no teaching jobs, and there was a, at that time there was a glut of teachers, which is what I was at. Mm. There aren't very many other opportunities for women unless yeah. you're secretary. So I ended up being secretary to the head of the psychology department. I'm crap at that. Absolutely crap. So I'm like, when is my next appointment? So, I don't know. I'm in the middle of my book. Would you please? <laughs> so, I mean, really bad. And, and, um, and then I must have had it in me because after Tommy left, I... I Tommy was your husband. That for, husband one. Husband one. Sorry. Uh, after Tommy left, and he left me, I had this thing about wanting to put on be on television. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's not occurring to me that you have to take a lesson or something before you get up there and you grab a microphone. No, I can do it. This is it. And that was what happened. So I ended up, uh, and I think that was the beginning of my knowing that there was something I wanted to do that was out of the mainstream. Mm. And I think that this is something you should talk about. As a, as a woman, I didn't know what were palatable options. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I saw, I saw other women doing other things, but but in my family, that was just not done. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing. Had my family been more progressive, I might have known right away that I wanted some kind of artistic career because that's really what it is yeah. it's I paint and I write so I had I but but that wasn't one of the options that were open and it's really common to hear that like particularly of for the older generations is that if you're not encouraged from a young age you're never but if you but you don't you even know it's not encouraged I didn't know I, I didn't know, know yeah, it just wasn't what you yeah. did that was hobbies that little old women did you know yeah, yeah. like little old women would stay home and they would paint little watercolors mm -hmm. that wasn't what I wanted I wanted something more more and I didn't know what 
Um, and I also, anything I tried, I was shot down because I was a woman. Yeah. And 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 so anyway, so I saw Romper Room. What was Romper Room? Oh, you don't know what Romper Room? Oh, God. <laughs> Romper Room was this awful children's program that started out saying, good morning, boys and girls. Now who's going to get dressed first, the boys or the girls? Oh, it's the boys again. Yeah, oh, let's have, let's hear it for the boys. But what happened? I got dressed really fast. <laughs> Why did that happen, mother? Well, you didn't ask me to button up your pinafore, you know. And then now we're gonna now we're gonna have a little story, and the story was was for idiots, and, and now we're gonna romp around. And so I uh, and Toledo had just gotten and was and, and I had just gotten. This is on television. It's on. It was on television, okay. and and, uh, and Toledo had just gotten its first CBS, CBS affiliate. And and I'm walking down the street. And I'm my father's secretary with the watering plants, and I'm walking down the street. And I see CBS, and I thought, you know, I had a master's degree in creative arts for children, and I knew that this was not a solid educational program. Yeah. They care. They care. I mean, all they care about is getting a sponsor, but I am just appalled. This is not a educationally sound. So I went into this. I still can't believe I did this. I walked into this brand new building, and remember, they're still putting up things. They're still painting. Yeah. And I said, oh, I wonder if the manager is there. And the little girl sitting there, you know, she's brand new. She's got a job at a TV station. Do you have an appointment? And I see an open door. I said, no, no, but I'll just go in and talk to him. <laughs> and I can see this guy, and I know his first name was Bob, but I have looked this up because of my cabarets to mm. see if I can get that last name. Can't. He had sort of faded red hair, and he was very... The only way I can explain to you, sweetheart, he was very not Jewish. <laughs> okay. He's just very not Jewish. And I walked in, and he's busy trying to organize the office. They had just moved in. They were tacking things on the wall. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, hello. I said, I'm Lynn Ruth Miller. And, you know, and he's looking, you know, who the fuck is that? And he, and he looks at me and he says, yes. And I said, um, I just saw Romper Room. So this was one of their new programs. And remember, in those days, what the, the affiliates did is they said from CBS said, you can have these programs. And they said, well, we'll take this one, this one, and this one. He had decided he'd take Romper Room. So he said to me, oh, did you like it? I said, no. It was, it was educationally very, mis- very lacking. <laughs> yeah. He's saying, what? You know, you know. So, I said, so he says, oh, I suppose you can do better. And I said, well, yes, I think I can. That's amazing. So what happened then? So when you so said, okay, your show's crap, I could do better. Then I thought, oh, God, I won't have to be my father's secretary, which didn't turn out that way. And he's thinking, we have a budget for public service programs, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to put in there. And this idiot just walked in. I think I can get her. So he said, really, that's what he's thinking, because I won't have to pay her. So he said, if you can do better, I'll, I'll give you a program. So I called the Toledo Art Museum. I had been, when I taught, because I was an innovative teacher, I would take my class to the art museum. Mm. And so his name was Charlie Gunther. He knew me. Mm. So I called him up, but he was very anxious to promote the school. The Toledo Art Museum had a school. So I said, how would you like to sponsor a program? He said, yeah. Great. So we sat down and planned it. And I had it for two years. And remember, this is the beginning of the 60s. This okay. is 1962. Okay. So 
So women are becoming. Women are becoming. We're beginning to notice that women want to do a little bit more than clean toilets. So it's beginning to happen. And of course, I'm very into current literature, reading, yeah. newspapers. So I'm aware of this. Yeah. But it hasn't really gone. And I thought, well, I have to earn a living. I'm not going to go through this marriage stick again yeah. ever. I'll do journalism. But what I really wanted to do was creative writing. That's what mm-hmm. I wanted to do. But I thought, no, you can't earn a living from that. I, and yeah. I didn't have the husband to pay for things. Right, yeah. Because that's how Probably. they did it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I don't know how Emily Dickinson did it, but that was how they did it. So I thought, okay, I'll major in journalism. I went to Stanford, and I applied to Stanford. I had always wanted to go to Stanford, but I didn't think I was smart enough. But by this time, I had a master's degree in creative arts, and I had the, the degree from Michigan. And my grades were very high, and I said to myself, this is your chance. You're going to make something of yourself. You're not going to have to get married again because I just never wanted to do that again. You're not going to have to get married again. You're going to earn your own living. You're never going to have to ask your father for help again. You're going to be independent. You are going to be a journalist. (laughs) And I had, yes. And that was the year Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, wow. And I'm majoring in journalism. And no television. So I heard the whole thing on the classical music station. And I worked like I've never worked before. I don't think ever. So you're writing and you're writing and writing. And and I get out and I am now trying to get a job. And this is what you're talking about. Yeah. And because then I couldn't. You couldn't. And then, so... They we're had kind just, of, we're they kind had of just going around a bit. But. No, we're not. When I graduated from Stanford, that was when I really... It, what women can't do. Okay. Women do not have careers. That's it. We do not. And what year was this when you came out? Nineteen sixty-four. Nineteen sixty-four. They're busy up in San Francisco, uh, doing hippie things and sleeping with each other and yeah. living in trees. And I'm trying to get a job that pays something so I can live there. Well, they I, talk about the sixties being this great moment of like second wave feminist awakening, but actually, yeah, there were there were a lot of like quite well-off white women having consciousness raisings and, 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 and getting very involved in the feminist movement. But actually, if you're not that well-off and you don't have a husband and you're actually kind of just and wanting no to money. make your way in the world and you don't have any money, there's something really interesting about, you know what, I'm just looking to try and get a fucking job. I just want to, like... That's I want to be up there with the men. I want to actually be able to do what the men do. I don't want to be at Tupperware parties. That's, I don't want to uh, no, be, like... That's it. I, Tupperware... Bridal fairs. It. Yeah, I want to be writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's it. That's the perspective. And they we do would not hire me. They here. would not hire me. So I went to New York, and I didn't get a job. I didn't get a job. But you think, Anne Marl Lindbergh writes this wonderful book, and she says you push and push and push at a door, and you think it'll never open, and then one day you look and you say, oh my God, it's open, <laughs> and it has been for a long time. While I was in New York, I was of course. Never did I just sit and say, oh, or sit and feel sorry for myself. Never. Mm. I wrote and I sent articles in. That's yeah. how you did it. Yeah. With two envelopes. One yeah. to send it back. One to send it back. Then yeah. I got it back and sent it again. And I cracked the, the freelance market. But it didn't feel like it. Yeah. Never does. Because I got 500 refusals. So I got two, yet, two yeses. Yeah. I didn't feel I was doing that. So I'm in New York <laughs> thinking that I totally failed. But I had cracked those markets. And... Um, well, it took 10 years, but that was when I really became the ballsy lady that you know, because I thought, you know, fuck it. <laughs> I've tried to do everything the way you're supposed to do it. 
I've got the training I'm supposed to have, I've done, the, I've ticked all the boxes, and I haven't gotten the reward. I'm just going to go after the reward. I'm going to forget about it. And that's what I did. Women don't realize. They think, oh, I wasn't good enough. It wasn't I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a man. Mm. And I was the wrong age. And, of course, I wasn't very pretty either. Same energy I've got now. Same. Going to do it. You're just going to do um, it. I couldn't get a job. And what happens with most women, then they think, oh, I'm just not good enough, or I'm not strong enough, or I don't have the... That wasn't what it was. Mm. It was that I wasn't a man. We don't realize it. We think the doors are shut because we're not qualified. But that's not true. I'm reading Hillary Clinton's book, and I don't like Hillary Clinton. But she just, I really don't like her. That's but okay. she we and, the, and, the, and the book. <laughs> we're not going to discuss that right now. Yeah, but, but, that, but the book is all justification and hating Trump. But there's a section on women, and by God, she's right. She says, why do I have to go to a beauty shop? I have to have my hair done every day. Why do I have to? Because if I didn't, people say, oh, she looks sick or she looks tired. Why do I have to be careful about what I wear? Because if I wear the wrong thing, they say I'm either a slut or I'm trying to be, I'm emasculating people. God, she's right. Why? Why do I? It's the Ginger Rogers thing. Why do I have to be twice as good to get half as much? She does everything um, he does, but backwards and high heels. heels. Lenrith, I could talk to you for hours, but I think we're running out of time, yeah, actually. Yeah. And I'm really disappointed because I so feel I like So I didn't say only... the line you wanted, so I'll give yeah, you the give line you now, wanted. Yeah. I can't stand men who will who are passing laws on about women's bodies and are saying we should not, that, and are trying to outlaw abortion. And I say for all you people who are against free Abortion for anyone that wants it. All you men, I just want you to pass a watermelon through your dick and then come back and talk to me again. You got it. Thank you, Lynn Ruth. Um, I think we should do this again the next time well, you're we can. in town. I'm going to be in Edinburgh. Yeah, so, yeah, because we, we haven't even touched on the fact that you have written several cabaret shows that you, that we met at the Fringe when you were doing The, the Fringe. And and you, did you see how cute she was, one of the three little girls? <laughs> And I didn't tell you the most wonderful thing. I'm sitting at the computer with that video that went out on, you know, three million. One of them, of the three million, was a student I had at Ottawa Hills in 1957. And I get this letter that says, are you Miss Miller (laughs) that taught at Ottawa Hills School? She said, you were my favorite teacher ever. (laughs) So my children did like me. But I never felt I was a success, and I believe it's the white male You are society. a success, Lynn. I really a believe huge it. Inspiration. I mean, I do not believe it's deliberate. No, it's just a, it's a system we found ourselves in, and we've got to fight against it. We've got to fight against it, but did you ever think how difficult it was to be a man then? See, nobody thinks that. You can't cry. No. Sorry. You've got to be right, and you've got to know the answer all the time. Mm. Who knows the answer all the time? Patriarchy affects men too. We talk about it a lot in the podcast. I really um, would. I'm so anxious to do more <laughs> to help men realize you really can open a door. We're not going to kick you in the balls when you do that. It's okay. We're going to say <laughs> thank you. Yeah, you really can. Bring some flowers. We're not going to shove it up your ass. We'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Lynn, I am 
I just I've loved talking to you and I feel like we only just scratched the surface of the several lives that you have led well, incredible coming. inspirational lives so I think we should do a second one with you we next can. time you're in town I'm going to be coming back the last weekend in April into Edinburgh fantastic and if you can find me a comedy gig here I'll come up again here again because Viv G isn't doing it anymore okay well listeners out there if you've got a comedy gig you want to book Lynn Ruth Miller you would be v- stupid not to book this incredible but I talk woman. dirty she does talk dirty yeah, I she do. was actually very very tame on the podcast actually we didn't get as, we didn't get we the didn't get into in. the four letter words but yeah, they're yeah. coming they're coming um, so you're going to do the Stan Comedy Club tonight um, yes I'm so excited so can people follow you on Twitter or find you on social they media they can follow me on Twitter I'm not going to follow them back because I haven't figured it out you can come to Facebook I'm on Instagram but I still haven't figured that one out either um, but I'm on Facebook. I did manage to figure that one out. And I have a website, www.lynruthmiller.com. And if you look up Lynn Ruth Miller, the whole world opens up on the internet. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Lynn, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk oh, to you. It was wonderful. I really uh, think you are just an absolute <laughs> gem. And uh, I can't wait till we have... Uh, We'll Another chat again. next time you're here. We'll do it. We'll do yeah. it, honey. Um, I always call you when I come to yeah, town. You do, and I'm glad you do. Uh, yeah. Thank you for listening out there, and until next time, stay nasty. <laughs> Resistance! Resistance!